0: Welcome back to SwitchCast You interrupted us talking about rare shoes Bradley's shoes are one of 500 made in that color In that special edition They apparently have tickets on the bottom of them to get into the Porsche Museum That's true We're not going to be talking about shoes tonight We're (laughs) going to be talking about cars This is a special episode of SwitchCast on the road Last week we were in Atlanta, sort of Uh, This week we are in Cleveland. We're always in Cleveland, but uh, we are down at the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum. We're only on the road a little bit for this one. We are here live, so if you want to join us and interact with us, you can post your questions in the comment flow of wherever you're watching. And the venerable Mark Spence, who is not smooth tonight, he's got a full beard going, he will be relaying our questions. Your questions to us, not our questions. We look forward to answering them. Uh, with me tonight is Bradley Brownell. Bradley is a dyed-in-the-wool car guy with a resume to prove it. I was actually <laughs> going down his LinkedIn experience thing, and it uh, reads like a rap sheet for a seasoned criminal.
1: And uh, <laughs> I don't even know if that's up to date, but uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I hope it is, because holy crap, it's like three pages. Anyway, he has served as an automotive journalist uh man, Jalopnik, uh podcast host, uh Porsche editor for the drive uh sales at Stoddard Parts. Uh sounds like you know a little bit of something about Porsches here. I um, I would hope so. I've probably forgotten more than I know, but uh <laughs> but yeah. You were a contributor to internet brands. Is mm-hmm. that like a fancy way of saying I post on forums?
1: <laughs> uh, sort of, but they actually paid me to do it. Really? Yeah, really. Yeah. People, I, I worked for internet brands. And you know when you, you know, they have more than just Renlist. But when you go to Renlist and there's that front page with all the articles yes. on it, I was writing those articles. Oh,
0: somebody did an article about me on the front page. Mm. I don't remember what it was about and I don't care, but there's nobody else cared either. There was zero <laughs> comments on the
1: thing. That was, uh, yeah, that was one of my first gigs, uh, as a, after I quit my job at Stoddard and went full time into writing, uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff for Corvette blog and, you know, a bunch of, bunch of different places that internet brands owned. Uh, I did that for a couple years and then got a gig at the drive and spun that into Jalopnik. I was at Jalopnik for five years and yeah wrote a i mean thousands of articles over God the years how do you i feel like maybe this is just that i don't
0: have enough brain cells and i think a lot of people <laughs> would agree with that but uh, you know i've told like 30 stories on vin wiki i feel like i'm out of totally out of material and and you know i i, I couldn't write that much like wh- where do you find
1: your material Well, luckily, it's not just stories about me. It's news. It's reviews. It's, uh, you know, basically everything. Um, I got into, you know, when I I was running short on stuff that everyone else was doing, I was like, well, I'll get into motorcycles. So I started writing about motorcycles. And then I covered the EV beat. And I covered motorsport. And I covered, you know, just trying to find a niche that nobody else was doing so that I would always have job security. Right. So. Right.
0: Is it as hard work as people say i mean as a kid i always wanted to be an automotive journalist i thought that was the dream
1: job because oh you just get to drive amazing cars and write about them it's it can be you there are definitely hard days there's a lot of you know the the travel sucks and there you know it's glamorous on instagram but sure. there's the background of like oh well i've got a i've got a flight tomorrow and i have to have this article written in the next 3 hours uh or else i you know won't make and I was a freelancer the whole time, so it was it was always, I had to write the thing, and then submit it, and then issue uh, an invoice, and then chase the money. That, yeah, you know when invoices go unpaid at the end of the month, and it's like, well, now I got to go chase my money. So I, yeah, there are definitely hard days, and there there. My first year, I probably made twenty grand. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was gonna ask, is that kind of like the the starving artist stereotype? Where I,
0: I yeah. mean, you, you're saying this, it makes me think of. A, a musician, right? Like yeah. I, I'm a musician by hobby, mm. and I'm like I I see what we get paid. I could never do this for a living, but I know people that do. Yeah. Same thing with a writer. Like I've yeah. heard what people get paid for articles, and I'm like, holy crap! Like you gotta you gotta hustle.
1: Yeah, you really gotta hustle. And I'm very lucky. You know, obviously, I wouldn't have been able to make that jump from you know having a desk job with you know insurance and a 401k and all of that. I quit all that to make almost nothing and work, you know, very hand to mouth. I couldn't have done that without my wife. You know, I, we worked with her insurance and we were, mm-hmm. you know, making it work for a little while. And, uh, she was basically paying most of the bills while I was <laughs> trying <laughs> hey, to sugar f- mama, trying to find my, um, place in the world. And then eventually <laughs> I got to a point where, you know, in a post Radward, in a post Radwood era, uh, I hadn't made a name for myself and I was able to, pitch much easier and i i was able to produce quality content in a timely fashion so i could crank out an article in a few hours that Mm -hmm. you know a couple years before would have taken me all day or you know a, a whole weekend or whatever gotcha so it's definitely a learning curve and and you get better over time um but not everybody's cut out for it and it got to a point where you know after doing it for you know i i really started writing Nights and weekends, you know, I would take my vacation days from my desk job to go to these press trips to drive cool stuff. And that was like my entire vacation time. So I was working on vacation and uh, that got old really fast. Um, But I probably started writing in like 2009 and then I went full time in 2017. Mm -hmm. And then from 17 to earlier this year, I was doing that full time. Gotcha. So. Yeah.
0: What um you were writing during the era that I'm gonna criticize, but I'll, I'll give a little <laughs> background. So <laughs> you know, I grew up reading legends like David E. Davies mm-hmm. and David E. Davis. Sorry, Davis, I, I don't yeah. know why I ever, always called him that, but um reading automobile magazine, road mm-hmm. and track, mm-hmm. really, really good, thoughtful, well researched articles. And then, you know, the early days of Jalopnik and Drive, like it it seemed like they were along the same lines. They Mm -hmm. were trying to do on the Internet what had been previously done with big budget magazines. Mm -hmm. And I feel like recently, and maybe I'm just not reading the right places, you know, Petrolicious is awesome. But just the general article that I see come across that's automotive related is just lazy friggin like people just throw it together no research no citing no imagination is that just that I'm reading the wrong places or or have you seen that as a trend lately
1: there's certainly a trend in that in that the, the fact that things need to be done in a in quicker time Mm -hmm. you know you're not allowed uh, three or four days to research a thing it's like oh it's got to be out now you know we have an article that needs to be published at 4pm you're the person that's doing the 4pm piece it's got to be done by 4 or like you'll have not necessarily hell to pay but uh, certainly not your bills (laughs) Um, um, but yeah there's certainly a hurry up because of the social media era because of there's a downturn in ads so you've got to have more posts and you've got to have more clicks and and yeah there's there's probably a uh a quality issue uh and we did have some of that where you know at Jalopnik we were trying to hire people who were not in the normal you know they they didn't have the long careers in automotive media because we were trying to get people who were outside the the sphere of influence or whatever, you know, people who didn't have uh, relationships with manufacturers and stuff like that. So there were a lot of young kids and there were a lot of inexperienced people and a lot of people who didn't have a lot of writing under their belt. So that takes time to develop their voice and to develop their their ability. Um, and I think that's one of, the, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think that's one of the things that I excelled at was I just have this depth of knowledge that I don't need to spend hours researching stuff because I just already have it in my brain. Yeah,
0: that certainly helps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that helps you interpret the stuff you're researching too. Exactly. Because if, if you have a basis context a, of knowledge and, and context, for example, Porsche, you know a lot about those. I, I was researching Porsche 356s a while ago for a consignment customer and the information that's out there on three, five, sixes is varied and conflicting and mm-hmm. confusing, even on Porsche's own website. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if you have a good knowledge base to start out, you can filter the information that's coming in mm-hmm. because, you know, how do you trust your sources? Right. Unless you know, right, right. What, you know, right. Um, <laughs> so growing up, As I mentioned, one of my dream jobs was an automotive journalist. It was originally to be a car designer uh, Mm -hmm. because, again, I saw the glamorous side of things and thought that all car designers were like the guy who designed the Corvette C5, Mm -hmm. essentially single-handedly. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be that dreamer. (laughs) And then I was like, "No, I'm not qualified enough
1: to do that." I went up, to engineering school. You'd end up designing like a center console or like exactly a lid to something. Right. Yeah.
0: I'd be the guy in the cubicle <laughs> that got you know 2.5 GPA and barely struggled through, and I'd be designing gear sets. And I'm like, "That's, that's not me. I'm too ADD. I love cars too much. I got to be doing something. I got to mm-hmm. be using my imagination." Mm-hmm. So my next goal was okay the next closest thing that allows me to be around cars was automotive journalism and uh, you know everybody pushed me towards engineering because in high school I was good at math blah 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 but I wasn't that good I hit calculus and just hit a wall so mm-hmm. uh, some engineer I would have made <laughs> but I was also good at English um, and I, I didn't pursue that as much I enjoyed writing but when I thought about doing automotive journalism, I asked some people and said, okay, well, what's the, what's the track to do that? And they said, well, you either have to be a race car driver or you have to basically go the same path where you have to get an engineering degree and then <laughs> sure. a journalism or an English degree because they want somebody with a background in engineering or racing mm-hmm. to have that kind of foundational experience. And I was like, screw that. I can't do eight <laughs> years of college to go write about cars. Yeah, And in some weird way... <laughs> Not that I've become an automotive writer, but I've am come full circle of 15 years in the car business and now kind of back into being able to talk about cars for fun mm-hmm. and experience them and, and kind of heading on that track in a really, really roundabout way. Sure. So that's a really long explanation of my past to say, how did you, you know, when you were in high school, I, I like asking all my guests this, like, everybody can see where you are now. Yeah. But for the dreamers out there who were our age when they had Mm -hmm. posters of cars on their wall and played with matchbox, what did you want to be? What's the background of your interest in cars and how, what was your roundabout
1: or what was your path to get to being an automotive journalist? Yeah. So in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I was just like floating through life. Um, and I went on a, uh, foreign exchange program and I lived in Spain, uh, my senior year of high school and I didn't care about cars. I had my license, but I was like, just to have the ability to drive somewhere. I had my old, my mom's old, uh, hand me down 91 Pontiac Grand Prix. It's my first car had like 300,000 miles. It was on its third transmission, and second engine. So like the Grand Prix of, uh, of dang it, I messed up the Greek analogy <laughs> uh the the guy with the boat that if you take one piece out and however many pieces you take at the end when is it not the same boat i don't know that i've heard nah, that
0: anyway I, I just know the johnny cash song
1: yeah. tyler's <laughs> piece of a time
2: tyler's
0: almost there uh dan ducette do you know more than Bradley? sisyphus is the guy Hobbit? who pushes
1: the rock up the hill i'm thinking of uh theseus the ship of Theseus. That's the one. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, devolving. All right. But anyway, so I um, had this Grand Prix just to get around. I went on this foreign exchange program into Spain, and my stepfather's father uh, would send me care packages once a month, and they had Hot Rod Magazine, uh, Motor Trend, Car and Driver, uh, popular hot rotting and Mopar.
0: After all the talk about the ship of Theseus, I thought that his care packages had
1: one piece of the ship every <laughs> time. <years. laughs> no. Okay. But, he, but he, he would send me these magazines, and it was the only thing while I was in Spain that I had to read that was in English. Okay. So I would just devour them. I didn't care about cars when I went there, and then I did when I got home because I was just sure. reading those magazines cover to cover i was like what's a carburetor what is the you know <laughs> how does this work i don't know and i just learned through just consuming all of this media and so i got back and um got a 68 mustang started wrenching on that and figuring out how things go together and rebuilt a motor and and all this stuff in in my parents garage um And then I went to school to study business and I got an advertising and promotion degree. Um, So when I graduated, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it was uh, to date myself, it was 2008 and the financial crisis had hit and I was living in Michigan at the time and there was just like no jobs anywhere, especially not in advertising. Um, so my dad was living in Georgia and I asked if I could go live with him because I figured the economy would be better in Georgia than it was in Michigan. It was only slightly better, but, um, I found a job on Craigslist, uh, that said Porsche parts sales. And I was like, Hey, we're in a recession. Porsche people have money. <laughs> uh, they'll, we'll be able to make this work. And it, you know, it was cars, car adjacent at least. And, so um I lied my ass off that I knew everything about 914s <laughs> and uh, and got the, got the job and spent two years uh, working at a place called Automobile Atlanta it was a very yep. hard two years um, yep. and if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all so I won't no I, but I, <laughs> the reason I, I don't think we've ever done business
0: with automobile Atlanta but for the longest time i guess they had classified sites or something somehow or another our cars for sale would end up on automobile atlanta Mm. but it was usually like three or four years after they had sold (laughs) interesting so we would get leads off of automobile atlanta that were five years too late Mm -hmm. (laughs) for these cars i'm like how or why yeah
1: where are you calling Uh, from i don't know weird anyway Um, yeah i don't know so i worked there for two years uh i got hired away by ecs tuning and made my way to northeast ohio uh, i worked there for two years worked with tim um, and then i left there and got hired by stoddard worked at stoddard for f- seven years i think uh, were I don't they know if the math still a that, Porsche dealer at that they were time, not. or they were just parts. They were just okay. Parts.
0: I, I forget the timeline when they sold. They were just parts. I feel like it was just a couple years ago, but it was probably <laughs> a decade or so. Yeah, it okay, was. Okay, so you ago. worked for Bruce Schwartz? Yes, up there. Okay,
1: yep, yep, yep. and uh, and then, like I said, nights and weekends, I was writing, uh, doing my writing thing. So, I had the the writing thing actually started in college because I joined my, uh, local SCCA the Detroit, Detroit region, SCCA region 10. And, um, I was on the board of directors there and I started doing some newsletter stuff there and I interviewed a few people. The great thing about the Detroit region was there were a lot of people that were in the automotive field. So I could just look at the directory and just call them because their number was in the SCCA directory. And just so like, I could just call an engineer at Cadillac or whatever and, and interview him for this nothing newsletter right. that, you know, whatever. So I would get these scoops that like nobody else got because <laughs> I was, awesome. I had their phone number. And so I was able to turn that into like, here's my resume. I've already done this stuff. And sure. I wasn't a good writer cause I was in college, but, um, I was able to turn that into a quasi career. And then one of my, uh, coworkers at automobile Atlanta, his, friend that he went to college with had a website that he needed writers for. So I got tied up into that and that was com. <laughs> and, uh, Is that still active. No, it was merged into Huniverse uh, about a year after I okay. started writing for them. So then I was writing for Huniverse, Um, and this was basically free, uh, you know, maybe $10 an article or something like that. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and this was, you know, very early days and you know i'd get 60 80 bucks a month doing that and it was like oh i'm a professional (laughs) but they would send me on press trips yeah i'm i at that rate i'm a professional driver yeah professional musician right i'm a a whole lot of things right but i was able to put it on my business card you know that was the important (laughs) part to me um but they sent me on press trips and i got to meet a lot of people in the industry and i got to uh shake the right hands and and know the right people and um more importantly meeting people that i could gain their acquaintance so they would know who i was when i saw them when i interacted with them on social media Mm -hmm. so that ended up being how i got my job on jalopnik was because patrick george posted that uh they needed help on the weekend and i sent him a dm and i was like hey i'm available on the weekends and he goes you're hired (laughs) i know (laughs) who you are you're reliable let's do it all right so um So, yeah, and then just uh, once I got that job, it was basically just a matter of showing up, having stuff that's deliverable in a reasonable time Mm -hmm. timeline, because, you know, I would have, say, Saturday was my day. I would come in at five o'clock in the morning and I would have to do nine articles that day. And it was one on the hour every hour for nine hours. Hmm. So I would have to I would have to come up with the fun out of it. It's it was hectic. It was hectic. for sure. But I would have to come up with a topic, research it, write it, edit it, post it, push it to social media, and then start on the next one. In an hour. In an hour. Golly. <laughs> yeah, people, it,
0: people say uh, if you love your job, you never work a day <laughs> in your life. Yes. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, <laughs> I've had
0: well, a lot of people on this show that have really amazing jobs and no one is yet to everyone has debunked that yeah, statement yeah no
1: i i I loved my job and I really loved uh, as a being a writer I think after you know 10 years or 12 years of writing I kind of ran out of things to say um and it just got a little monotonous um and I was writing for the I was content writing content basically yes. it was just like eh, you know being a machine um what do you think about the
0: allegations i guess that jalopnik is no longer car guys in the content they're pushing out
1: um i i mean i know the people that are there and i know that they are absolutely enthusiasts Mm -hmm. um i mean they've written some pretty pretty scathing
0: pieces that make it look like they certainly are uh, against i don't know uh you mean like like opposed to cars in it kind of just like not enthusiast based just i I don't know i'm trying to remember i mean it was a few years ago but they definitely went through a period where they were getting a lot of a lot of flack Mm -hmm. for just and and maybe it was cannonball stuff and maybe that's why i was sensitive to it but there was some other stuff other than cannonball where it's just Mm -hmm. it it seemed like they had lost their way and they were really Mm -hmm. just you know, getting kind of political and
1: oh, I mean, it's always been political, and you know, I don't know. It's cars are political in a, in a way, and you yeah, know, we don't have to get into that. But you know, but ev- everything even more. So. Sure, yes yeah. yes, yeah, everything is politics in a way. Yeah, you know, it all boils down to one way or the other. I don't know, but yeah, there's. Yeah. Well, you're sh-
0: behind you is a Volkswagen Beetle. It talks about a exactly, car being yeah, political. Right. Exactly, <laughs> that's the definition of it. What exactly. a Corvair behind you? A Corvair? Yeah. Oh yeah, friggin' Ralph Nader. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. yeah, the subject of of
1: the book. Um, Dame, unsafe, unsafe. Unsafe at any, at any speed. speed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We should have a copy of that next to that car. Just you really <laughs> should. You really should. Yeah. Th- those books are collector's
0: items now. They're I like hear that. They're like 40 bucks. I was going to buy one for somebody at a jo- as a joke. I was like, yeah. Nope. You got to go find one of those baby carriages that used to sit in the back above the yes. engine. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Just display it next to the car. So but- backing up, this is a random like small world connection that I made, but you're talking about lying about being an expert on 914s, mm-hmm. and then... Working at Stoddard. Yes. And then the random like 914 Stoddard connection to Crawford is that um, uh, there's a Ferrari 365 California yes. over behind the camera in front of us that was donated by Tom Vale Sr. Yes. Tom Vale Jr. owns a 914 that, that was at the Crawford Cruise Inn beautiful, a couple weeks ago. Beautiful Irish green. That was... Built by Chuck, Chuck Stoddard. Yeah,
1: Chuck had his hands in everything in the community. If it had anything to do with Porsche or imported cars of any kind, Chuck was in it. Yeah, I mean the the dude has a stellar collection. He's uh, started this crazy business. I so part of my job there was I when I moved to Reno, Nevada, um, there was an opening out there, and they asked if I wanted to move, and I said, sure. Uh, the weather here sucks, so. <laughs> Uh, So I I went out to Nevada, and I was working out there in the office, and there was only four people in that office. So we got to know each other real well. And the guy who was kind of leading that office, his name's also Brad, he was Chuck's right-hand man for, like, 30 years. And he would tell stories of, like, oh, yeah, we went to Stuttgart to buy – Chuck wanted to buy a 959. And they said, yeah, you can buy this 959, but you got to take this 917 over in the corner – because it's junk and we don't want it this (laughs) this probably lamar winning 917 yeah (laughs) so (laughs) but so yeah so chuck has like this amazing collection and he built his that entire business of the parts business was between him and brad they would go to um other dealers and they would when the 911 came out and 356 was no longer relevant. They would say, we'll buy all of your 356 parts, look up everything that has a prefix with so a 644 or whatever, and and go get those and we'll buy them for 10 cents on the dollar. We'll just buy them by the pound, whatever you got. Holy and they would do it because it was old inventory and they didn't want it. So they would sell all their inventory 356 stuff to him. And then he started a restoration business. So anytime if you, if you wrecked your 356, you would go to him because he was the guy. And so, you know, that was how Stoddard started was, you know, literally people would go to dealers mm-hmm. and, and that w- actually, you know, Myron. Yep. He used to do that. He would go like on road trips, find a Porsche dealer and go, hey, I'll buy all your 356 stuff, buy it for a penny on the dollar and sell it to Chuck for a dime on the dollar. And so I remember him telling me about that. Yeah. So, yeah. like that, you know, the ingenuity and the, the, whatever uh uh, behind the porsche world in in northeast ohio is all due to chuck yeah so there's not a lot of that anymore
0: because everything has become so valuable and sought after that it's just there's there there's nothing in the car world that is yeah orphaned
1: yeah well you know i used to hear stories of people who are like oh yeah i cut up a um you know short wheelbase 911 or a 67s or whatever i cut it up and i made a you know slant nose replica or whatever in the 80s because that was the thing you did and you know in 2007 you're going oh man i can't believe you did that well in 2022 i can sit here and go well i've cut like five nine fourteens in half yeah <laughs> like those well, cars don't exist anymore a because lot of, of them me. fell in <laughs> half <laughs> well to start with exactly. sure yes
0: but uh <laughs> you didn't cut them you just well look at them wrong <laughs> <opened> <laughs> both both <hammers>. <laughs> open both
1: doors take the yeah. target top out and jump <laughs>
0: Oh, man. SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers in more than 200 countries. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible, live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, we are broadcasting this show live with our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Nathan's Detailing is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Nathan's Detailing is a company in Cleveland, Ohio that provides mobile detailing services for individuals and dealerships. They also offer PPF and ceramic coating installations. With 800 plus Google reviews and an impressive 4.9 rating, Nathan's Detailing is the go-to shop for all of your detailing and protection needs. With Nathan's Detailing, convenience is key. Their mobile detailing technicians bring the power, water, and supplies to your home or work and detail your car on site. Check out the link below for free interior fabric protection or leather conditioning with your purchase. Nathan's Detailing, this smiles for you. We are back here live at the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum in Cleveland, Ohio, a wonderful place to visit. We have a vintage motorcycle display going right now, and uh, plus their usual cadre of vintage automobiles and Mm -hmm. airplanes. You can see a few of them behind
1: us in the shot. It's a P-51 Mustang right there. Yeah. Allegedly still airworthy. I'm sure it would need a lot. Allegedly. Yeah. Apparently it flew into Cleveland and then was put in here and... (laughs) has not moved since but yeah uh yeah there's a lot of cool stuff here and we're actually reopening the lower gallery tomorrow for yep. the live listeners to july 14th 14th um and during our uh uh crawford cruise in tomorrow we will have the lower gallery open for anyone who wants to check it out
0: so uh are there any Duesenberg's? Or I'd like big body Packards down there. There's Any some limousines. Packards.
1: There's some Packards. There's some Peerless. Um, there's a lot of a lot of big okay. stuff.
0: The super luxury. The ones yeah. with like the the gold um, trays in the back and the yeah the, the cups. Yeah, there's some stuff like uh, that. Some glass. You know, the cut glass stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys. So <laughs> the. Um, the peanut gallery here brought their typical oh, bourbon to share, but they forgot glasses. Saying. So if you want to go downstairs <laughs> and check out the limousines down there, you might be able to find yeah. some glasses there. How yes. much trouble will we get in for that? A bit.
1: What if we <laughs> want <little>. them? <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to answer that. We're just gonna we're just gonna move on. Um, we're empty-handed tonight. <laughs> we can the pass smart one brought their own snifters.
0: Oh man. Um, I lost my train of thought. anyway, <laughs> so we're here with Bradley Brownell uh, if you're just joining us, he is the newly minted director curator director. what's the correct word director director, yeah. director. Um, there's an office joke there about director being higher than manager yes. or something. Yes. <laughs> regional director of sales Andy yes. Bernard um, you're the director of the Crawford auto Museum mm-hmm. the that brought you back to Cleveland. From California. Sort California. of. Sort of. Uh, Nevada. Nevada.
1: And um, so sort of, uh, it's kind of a weird roundabout thing, but I started interviewing for the job back in August mm-hmm. of last year, almost a year ago. And I, got, I finally officially got the job about two months ago. So uh, 10-ish months of interview process, uh, <laughs> be it over the phone, over Zoom, in person, um, various uh, ways of communicating with people who work here and eventually did get the job Um, very happy to have gotten it but I didn't end up actually moving here because of the job I moved here and then got the job okay I thought it was gone I thought for sure after ten months that it was like oh there's no way they hired somebody else no big deal sure But um,
0: let's fill in the hole before that first, because I do want to talk about Crawford and and what you're doing here. We have some questions about the museum. Sure. Um, And again, if you have uh, questions you want to get in, we will get to those. Just post them in the the comment flow of wherever you're watching with us and we will answer those um, as fed to us by Mark. Um, So you were an automotive journalist for quite a while mm-hmm. you said you were getting content with writing content and that yes. was the point that you thought okay next thing yeah and i believe the next thing was radwood is that correct well or was there something radwood in between
1: was, radwood was during i was okay. i was doing the journalism thing and then i started car shows okay and i completely yeah glossed over that so, so
0: talk about radwood that is that is the kind of new wave of uh, millennial car interest, I'd yeah, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It, it blew up, and it, it became something uh, that we... I don't know if we expected it. We certainly didn't expect it to be, to be as big as it is. Um, so that that show started in 2017, the same year that I went full-time as an automotive journalist. So that gave me the freedom of having weekends off and being able to travel and, and still write um, and not be tied to a desk. So,
0: what is uh, Radwood in a nutshell? Mm, you can do a uh, better elevator pitch than I can because you found sure,
1: it. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, Radwood hope. is a festival for all things 80s and 90s. Uh, it's centered around cars and the automotive experience, but we also uh, encourage people to dress in period and bring uh, characters to life from the period and bring their Nintendos and all that kind of stuff, the, the accoutrements that go with uh, that era. And,. It started as a car show for us and our friends because um, you all had we all had hoop-ties. stuff from that yeah yeah we all had <laughs> junk from the 80s I, I had a, a 97 Boxster and initially when I lived here I had an 83 944 that was beat Tim will remember it was pretty beat um, but I went to a PCA event I think it had like 480 thousand miles on it. it was like an old it was an 83 Zermat silver. Uh, I still miss that car, but I went to a PCA meet and, uh, they were basically like, are you sure you want to pay the entry fee to, (laughs) to be in this show? And I was like, yeah, I do. I, you know, I want to have enough money. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And because at the time I, you know, I bought the car for like 1500 bucks. It was a, you know, it was that or a Honda civic or something, you know, completely, Um, so they were like, you know, we don't really want this here. So we're going to put you over by the trash cans under the tree (laughs) over there and that'll be good enough. So, you know, that kind of brought to the front of my mind, like, oh, we need a place for us for our, you know, whether they're beaters or whether they're grand or, you know, whatever, um, whether you remember them from Gran Turismo or if it was a hand-me-down from your mother or whatever. Um, so, you know, those were the cars that we always had growing up. Uh, all of my cars until fairly recently came from the Radwood era. So we, you know, it was initially, it was three podcasts. It was the, the driving while awesome guys. And then I was running a show called Camden tubbed and then our friends at clutch kick. So there were three podcasts that got together and started Radwood and the two of the podcasts don't exist anymore and driving while awesome still exists. But, um, so we came together and started this show, and we kind of promoted it on Instagram, and we were we bought some T-shirts, and we had a food truck show up, and all that, and we rented out a marina for like hundred and fifty bucks, mm-hmm. and it was just a parking lot with that happened, it happened to have Oceanside, you know, you could park cars on it. They do the uh, BMW 2002 show there every year, um, and so we rented this out, and we we told all our friends, and we're like, hey, everybody, come to this. We expected it to be, you know, thirty forty maybe 50 cars and like 110 cars showed up. Nice. So we were like, okay, this is much bigger than we thought it was going to be. Um, we, we made money on that show, like $12, but we were <laughs> from our first so show, a little we were, bit more than writing an article. Yes. We were in the black though. That was important. We got, we made our, all our money back and we knew that we had something going on. And so while I was um, in the, Kind of negotiations to get my Jalopnik job, um, Patrick George, the editor there, reached out to us and said, Hey, this show looks amazing. We want to publish something about it. Can you send us something? And one of our friends had written this piece about how it changed his life. And it was like just such an amazing show and nothing like it exists. And he had really, really good photos. And so they published that on Jalopnik and it got. I remember the ton of photos. attraction. Yeah. Ton yeah. of attraction. This was, I think that's how I heard about June it. June of 2017. Yep. And, um, so that, that article got so much traction and it, it spread like wildfire around the world. And so they reached out to us again and they were like, so when's the next one? And we were like, well, we were planning on having it next year. And they were like, well, call us when you want to do the next one. So we sat down and we we're like, what if we did it in like December? Like six months from now, and there, and we decided that was what we were gonna do. Jalopnik sponsored it. We got a bigger venue that fit like 150 cars, and it sold out. Um, there were cars like lining the streets and parked in the church parking lot next door, and like it was, it was huge. And that one, we, it was actually like, oh, we we made some money, not like enough to live on, but it was it was a sustainable idea if we were to grow this and make it work. So then the next year we decided we were going to go a little harder and I think we did uh, f- maybe four shows that year. We did a tie up with 24 hours of lemons uh, where they had this thing they called hoop con mm-hmm. um, where we did a show at one of their races at Sonoma. So we got a free venue and we were able to make a little bit of money that way. And so it turned into kind of a business where, you know, we were doing it part time, but it was just one of those other things that we added to our repertoire of things to make money with and and obviously to have fun with i mean the whole point of it was we were enjoying it because it was a show for us um and so it ended up like consuming our lives <laughs> and we were we had a schedule in 2020 to do 12 shows one a month every month for the whole year and uh obviously that didn't happen right but um when we did come back in 20 late 21 uh it was it was like nothing had ever stopped Mm -hmm. you know, the enthusiasm for it was just as big as it was before. Um, Our biggest show before the pandemic was the last one was Austin, Texas. We had 6,000 people over a thousand cars. Holy cow. And it was just massive and we were building on that momentum and then it all just kind of snap died. And then we came back and we had our first NorCal show back in i think june of 21 so it was kind of a you know fourth anniversary when I, you know not one to celebrate but whatever um and that was even bigger so it was it was slightly fewer cars but it was more people mm-hmm. and it ended up just being like a sellout crowd at every show that we did um and that was kind of when the contract negotiations started to sell the business and that's what happened Haggerty bought it And now uh, it's—I'm no longer involved. Um, They gave us an option to stay on as employees, and I just didn't want to do that.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You like—you like like adventure and challenge. Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I so we found Radwood, I think, from that article that you talked about. And our first show was December two thousand eighteen. It was in L.A. Mm. Um. We. uh, What's that? Second show, that was oh, our second show. We were we were out there in seventeen. I didn't realize
1: that. Well, okay, you, yeah, you must have been. I guess yeah, it was. It was. So the that was one the one, the like the German with the big tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was we. That was the only show we did at There's that time. There's
0: a nine nine six GT3 there, and I'm like, what is this doing here? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, because that was Farah's fortieth birthday party. for yes. some reason I yeah. thought that was eighteen. Um. Okay, anyway, so yeah, so we were there at that, cool. that 17 one, Wow. And then we did a couple of the East Coast ones and you know, the LA one kinda spoiled us. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Because yeah, sure, we did yeah. Atlanta and I think maybe Atlanta some was of your
1: a weird one.
0: It was a weird one. Yeah. But I know like California is where most of you guys are headquartered. That was mm-hmm. your like you knew that area, you knew that community and some of the east coast shows like the guys went to philly they said that show was awesome philly was awesome atlanta philly was a was weird that one was off um and then we had been we went to detroit detroit was cool it was way too hot it was hot. too hot it was too hot it was a good turnout there was no just, air was moving no that shade day. Yeah. no yeah. that was it was tough circumstances yes. But it was a good showing yes um and then we have been a lot of Cleveland people have been bugging for it to come to Cleveland. You guys finally came to Cleveland this year, and I'm it, was that coincidence or was that
1: because you're here and I guess one total, of the other co-founders? Yes, total also coincidence. Is in Cleveland. Like total you guys coincidence. are
0: all just converging here. Yeah.
1: So um, one of our co-founders, Rick, he moved here last year. Mm-hmm. He's from here, and um, he wanted to move back one because real estate was cheap, and two because his business based in the bay area um you know once the pandemic hit they were like oh well there's no point in having an office we can work from anywhere we're a digital company we can work from anywhere so he just bought a place in cleveland right got rid of his place in san francisco in downtown san francisco
0: side note (laughs) that whole phenomenon is really pissing me and my wife off because we're trying to upgrade in-house and we're competing with all these people that are making new york and california salaries coming here going oh half a million bucks okay I'll just no pick inspections. Cash. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's my <laughs> equity in my
1: California house. <sighs> well, <sighs> I kept my Reno house when I moved here. So, I didn't <laughs> I didn't do that, but I did have Radwood money to deal with, so we ended up buying two places here and we still have the place in Reno. So, gotcha. Anyway. Anyway, um, so you guys just happened to come to Cleveland. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I really like Cleveland when I lived here before I was broke, so I couldn't really enjoy it the best that I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, the food is amazing. The places to go are amazing. There's all kinds of great, I mean, just within five blocks of here, there's like the best art museum that I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's amazing, uh, free entry and one of the greatest uh, buildings that I've even seen, so very cool. I've not. I've been to some of the other museums. It's worth the it. art museum. It's worth it. Gotcha. And the the um, natural history museum across the the street here is really cool, and the arboretum's awesome, and the modern art museum down the street's great. Yeah, there's there's a ton of really cool stuff to do here. Cool. Rock Hall, of course. All right. Two questions about Haggerty. You
0: can answer these or not. Okay. One of them's a little bit political. I say we don't talk politics on here unless okay. they're related to cars, but. So this one's sorta of related to cars. Yes. Um, it seems like and maybe it's the California contingency, most of the Radwood founders are more on the progressive side. Sure. And Haggerty seems to be as a culture more on the old car guy fuddy duddy <laughs> side. The muscle car guys, mm-hmm. you know where their political stuff lies. I mean sure. they, they, they have I've seen articles from Haggerty, they seem to be kind of fully entrenched in the internal combustion side of things yeah. supporting the classic cars mm-hmm. anti-ev you actually founded an uh, ev car topia yeah. an ev car show not to be confused with the utopian but um so you know, you name guys are first kind of on opposite ends of the political spectrum did that well, come into play at all when you're looking at selling to them or was it just like this doesn't matter because it's about cars or was that not even a consideration because they were furthering and expanding upon what you guys the foundation you guys had laid
1: it was i don't think politics entered into it at all um one i think that they you know not to be uh tough on them or anything but they're a business mm-hmm. and they'll they'll sell insurance to whoever wants to buy it it doesn't matter right if they have a classic car uh you know if it's from the Radwood era or if it's a muscle car or whatever sure. they they're trying to grow their business and reach new markets so but they're definitely not going after tesla guys as their key demographic <laughs> no and well and for the you know to their credit a tesla isn't exactly a classic car true uh, yet i'm sure i'm sure if somebody came in with one of the early um tesla roadsters and said hey i need specialty car insurance for this mm-hmm. they'd go yeah sure no problem by the way i can't believe what those stupid oh, things yeah, are six worth. figures it's crazy what the heck yeah they're garbage when i was looking at i i thought about <laughs> getting one early on when they were like 40 and then they just exploded in the last like two or three they years, exploded it's,
0: as as much as their transmissions exploded <laughs> early on that two speed thing. Oh, oh man.
2: So um, so
1: no, I don't think politics entered into it, and and certainly you know the Radwood's politics and and the the politics of the founders of Radwood is fairly progressive. We were you know our first show was in San Francisco, if that gives you any idea. Sure. So you know we've we've always been trying to. We've always tried to be welcoming of everybody, not only because we want everyone to feel welcome, but also because we want more people to buy tickets. Right. So there is a, That's you know, there <laughs> is a, there is a cynical side of that as well, but, but you know, we do want to be welcoming to everybody. Yeah. Okay.
2: So,
0: um, it, uh, you don't work for Haggerty, so I guess I can ask you this question. So you had mentioned, it seemed, it seems like Haggerty has been just buying, up buying everything, everything right? Sure. And they're a publicly traded company now is that correct that so is correct that impacts the things a lot mm-hmm. you know i've been talking about carvana a lot in terms of their growth at all costs business model granted mm-hmm. their carvana started on a wrong foundation of we're not making money yet but we're going to grow at any cost Haggerty sure. has started with we're making a crap ton of money yeah. but now we're publicly traded so we're trying to grow and make money right. by Just buying up everything in the automotive sphere, which Mm. I guess we'll see how this plays out. What's your opinion on that?
1: Um I think that McKeel has enough money that um he just buys things that he likes. Mm -hmm. Uh it's stuff that appeals to him. It's you know, he bought the California Melee because he enjoys going on the California (laughs) Melee. (laughs) it's a write-off for him now he he buys these concourse because he enjoys going to concourse right but also because everyone on those events is a potential customer yes so there is maybe a business case to be made for and it's a it's a marketing expense you know we'll we're able to reach people in a way that they see we're part of the community i obviously i don't work there i don't know but that's the way i see it but also like you said they are a publicly traded company they have to show growth yeah so in order to keep their shareholders happy, they have to buy new stuff and expand and and gain. And mm-hmm. that's just the way that people value companies now is is growth at all costs. Right.
0: So. How big do you think Radwood will become under Haggerty's <sighs> oversight? And I, the, the bigger question, that's a micro question of the macro question of do you think there is a potential within the automotive world you know, fueled by somebody like Haggerty, with the resources they have to
1: really just grow the overall passion. Um, yeah, maybe yes and no. I mean the one of the big reasons that we ended up selling the company was because we were a six person team running a show for 6,000 people. We just didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, we would have to pay for a venue. We wouldn't get paid back until all the tickets sold. So we would be basically in the negative until we had our next show. So we couldn't then turn around. Once we've booked this venue, we couldn't go to the next venue and go, hey, we want to book you for the next month. We would have to wait until we were we had made that money back to turn it around and set, send the money to the next venue. That so,
0: explains why we're all waiting here going, when's the next show? Exactly. And that's what we were all doing. Like, why haven't they just given the schedule for the year? Yeah. That explains And it.
1: so that was that was definitely part of it. And with with backing from a company like Haggerty, they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. They can call up a friend and go, "Hey, you've got a great venue. Oh, it's twenty grand. Okay, here's twenty grand." Yeah. Whereas we were like twenty grand. Jesus, like we're out of money. We couldn't make salary for a month because we had to to book a venue, and it was just like, "Well, oh, that's the way it is." You yeah. Know? That's the the curse of the entrepreneur. <laughs> totally. And and you know. T- to, but it paid off. It paid off, and right? my, that's that's why it pays off. Right is is because you took a had huge those risk. Months. Yeah, took a huge risk, and we we fought uh, really hard, especially through COVID. Um, yeah. You know, we were we had to get the PPP loans. We had to get you know whatever we could um, to try and make it through because uh, we had three full time employees and three part time employees that still needed to pay their mortgages and. We had a storage unit with all of our stuff in it, all our inventory. We had inventory that we had ordered for a show that we were paying the credit card on. So it was like, you know, it was it was rough there for a few months. Oh. It was rough for a few months. But when we got back and we had our first big show, we were we were able to like wipe the spread, sweat off of our brow and go, we survived. Yeah, you know, we made it through. So um, very grateful to everybody who ever came to a show because yeah it was a it was definitely a dream and we had a lot of fun doing it i didn't get to see like even a quarter of the cars that went to shows because we were busy the whole time but i hope everyone had fun
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've enjoyed all the ones we've gone to yeah if it wasn't for red would not know any of you guys actually that's true
1: i've had a lot of stories like that that's true uh, I, I actually Dying know. Radwood? I actually know of a a couple of my friends who are um, in a relationship now because of Radwood. Oh. Because he went out to the West Coast <laughs> and she lived on the West Coast, and they met at Radwood, and they were like passively interested in each other. But see, then,
0: guys, every now and then there is a single girl at a car show. <laughs> <laughs> every now and then, one. But pr- probably <laughs> more likely to be at Radwood because it's a cultural celebration yes. and they can dress up in costumes and do yeah. their
1: hair and makeup and there's something for them, especially a in, reason for them to go. Especially in L.A. we definitely had a lot more of the influencer style mm-hmm. of like people who would dress up and they would do their Instagram poses and stuff with cars and stuff. Yeah. So I, L.A. was it
0: felt like a real cultural immersion. Yeah. Um, yeah detroit was a show i i swear we have the curse of weather yeah in in that almost every show we've gone to has been like 95 degrees with no breeze and or, no or freezing shade cold. or anything uh, well we've never been to a cold one every single no. one we've been to is just
2: cleveland
1: like, was freezing oh that's right you're right we were just inside, inside most of the yeah day. <laughs> okay that venue was amazing yeah it was really cool apparently they got screwed on the venue because one of the tenants wouldn't let them use the parking lot because they had a tractor trailer that was parked in there or something the one that didn't move all day yeah 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 (laughs) so it was it was weird but i don't have to worry about that anymore that is no longer my responsibility (laughs) all right what
0: uh let's see we already kind of answered that question so uh we do have a question of the week the question of the week is brought to you by Nuts for Sticks. Nuts for Sticks is more than just a cool Instagram account; it is a merchandise website. We have awesome shirts that celebrate the automotive lifestyle and particularly love for all things stick shift. So you can go nut you can go to nutsforsticks.com and use the discount code SwitchCast to get ten percent off of your order. And the question of the week will receive a free T-shirt and maybe free Crawford tickets. Sure. From, yeah, there you go. Free Crawford tickets if you're anywhere near Cleveland and a free T-shirt from Nuts for Sticks. So the question is, and I essentially I had come up with this question, but... Lars asked it better, (laughs) so he gets the t-shirt. From Lars Brunkhorst, what are the biggest challenges that you foresee with getting the younger generations more involved with the museum? Is it more activations, influencer marketing, hands-on demonstrations, especially with the older vehicles like the brass era stuff that have a target audience that is maybe starting to age out? That's a nice way of saying it. All right. So biggest challenges you foresee with getting the younger generation or even the older generation. Right. It, mm-hmm. Because it's a continuous involvement.
2: Thing, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are a lot of challenges with that. And, and the museum has been impacted by COVID as well because we've been we were shut down for a while and we're certainly not yet back to where we were pre pandemic as far as visitors coming to the museum so everybody come it'll be great um but i think one having a director there hasn't been a director here for like six years Mm -hmm. um so having somebody who focuses on the collection focuses on getting people in the door focuses on and this is me by the way um that will be a boon just in from a, a foundational standpoint there hasn't been that um, we have started to invest in the structure of the museum itself. We just recently remodeled the lower floor. We're hopefully going to be expanding that gallery into uh, we have a storage facility on the lower level that will get a, a renovation and will be more display space. Mm-hmm. This space up here will get uh, will kind of shift around and we'll we'll get some more exhibits in. I mean without a director there couldn't have been real exhibits aside from we had the the we had radwood uh five years ago here and then there was uh an electric and steam display between those and then the motorcycles Mm -hmm. was was this year um so now that we have a director i can actually focus on getting in more frequent exhibits getting more people in the door that kind of thing as far as getting a focus on the collection one one of my tasks is to update the collection you know we have a lot of pre-war stuff we have a lot of brass era stuff and that's all fine and good but we need to diversify we need to bring in some newer things 60s 70s 80s 90s and have a more diverse uh display of cars that more representative timeline of stuff that people are interested in Uh, and then as far as the stuff that is, that we have in the collection, that's brass era, you know, Fred Crawford, the founder of the mag of the magazine, the museum, uh, he, he left a lot of his collection, which was primarily pre-war brass era stuff. So one, I would like to have all of that stuff kind of triaged because it's been in storage for so long and hasn't been used. Will it run? Does it work? What does it need? Those kinds of things. Once we figure that out, I would like to get some of them running and out for, for example, it's Wednesday. There's Wade Oval Wednesdays is right over there on the oval right across the street from us. There's a huge celebration, live music, food trucks, all that kind of stuff. If we were to have a running car out there that could, you know, bring out something pre-war fire, show people how it starts up, make it, make it an actual tangible thing instead of, something behind ropes in a museum that has been in a museum since before my grandparents were my age. Um, These things have been, they need to be taken down off the pedestal and prove that they're actually things again.
0: To that point, my six year old, cannot get him into cars which is fine i have mm-hmm. committed that he's i'm going to let him be interested in what he's interested in i'm not gonna you know try to
1: there's live still time. vicariously through i didn't get yeah. into cars until i was like 17 right so. but if he
0: never does i won't care like sure. i want him to be passionate about what he is passionate about but yes. he definitely does not give a rip about cars mm-hmm. um And I took him to the cars and coffee that was at your guys' restoration facility. Mm -hmm. And he just, like, did not care. He wanted to leave. I parked out on the lawn because I didn't want to get blocked in because I knew we'd be leaving after an hour. But the only thing besides the donuts that he was interested in was you had an old Model T or something that was shuttling people back and forth from Mm. the auxiliary parking lot. And he just wanted to keep riding in that all day. Sure. Because it was hands-on. It was something yeah. he could look at, feel, experience. Yes. And like... Absolutely. Y- well, one of the it.
1: one of the great things about T's and Model A's is that because they've been... Because there were so many of them built and because the target market for them is, is aging out and is either no longer able to work on them or no longer able to drive them, younger people are getting into them because it's a way to get into heritage cars at a low price point so you can pick up an a for like 15 grand Mm -hmm. that's in fairly good condition and you can take it to a car show you can take it to a vintage driving event you can you know all kinds of things that you can do with these things and there's they're starting to modify them they're starting to make them period correct hot rods they're starting to you know do crazy things with them that Mm -hmm. young kids do and so i'm so so excited about that movement and that potential of these early pre-war cars finding new life with a new audience because they've aged out of their old audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that'll extend uh, into some of the stuff that we've got in the collection. Um, I want to get some of these cars out for more events. Uh, like I said, we had the the Avanti at a Concours last weekend. Concours is great. I love Concours, but it's not going to get the young people, the young crowd so I want to get out and do some driving events. Mm-hmm. I want to go to, like, the California Melee or, like, the, you know, whatever, uh, East Coast Fall Leaf Tours or... Um, Host your own Or or one, I of, mean, uh, so one you're, of the you're ideas an that event I've planner, had, right? Yes, you you exactly. founded
0: Radwood. Like, the the potential's here. Yes. There's the... Like, we went to the Audrain. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're taking notes from, from Donald Osborne. Very much am. Holy crap, we were there for a weekend just to tour the museum and during the weekend there was a cars and coffee there was some paid drive led by david donahue the you know pro racer pikes peak hill climb record setter um 24 hour Lamar i sorry daytona winner um there was um a gentleman of distinguished honor motorcycle ride from mm-hmm. the museum like there's just all this stuff happening all the time yeah, that people could be involved in.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and part of that is they've got a much bigger budget than us. But uh, part of that is that they have um, the access and the ability to take things that are in their collection that run. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much of this collection that has been in storage for so long. That's been in permanent, basically permanent storage condition, drained of fluids, on display. So who knows if the seals function you know these kinds of things so uh, there's a 1919 harley down there that i would love to get fully well not restored it's in like barn find original condition but functional again get the engine pulled apart make sure there's nothing that would explode on the first kick Mm -hmm. and then get it running again and take it on i want to have a um vintage pre-war motorcycle ride from here to one of the great things about the Western Reserve Historical Society is that we have multiple properties. We have Hale Farm and Village down in Bath, uh, near Akron. So if we could do a ride from here to there, and ha- make it go through the the national park, make a whole thing out of it, uh, I think that would be a, a really fun time.
0: What are you, so uh, you jokingly? I had messaged you about the uh, the what the stink is that rally that goes all the way across country. They just came through here like a couple oh, the, weeks ago. Oh, uh, the great race! The great race! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I said it'd be great for like Crawford and the Crawford and the Cannonballer to to do a time, <laughs> speed, distance rally. Yeah. And uh, you
1: suggested taking the gull wing. Yeah. What? We gonna do that or? I mean, I can't commit to it right now because, again, <laughs> I don't think that runs. But um, we could maybe make it run.
0: I'm sure that there are people that can make that run, and I yeah. think Haggerty could ensure it. So. Yeah,
1: sure. <laughs> I'll just give McKeel a call. (laughs) I think it'd be great. Like, that would be good publicity. Oh, it absolutely would. Yeah. It absolutely would. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, literally the entire collection here is eligible to participate in that rally. Mm -hmm. So it would be awesome. Apparently, you get more points the older the car is. So maybe we need to take something older. Well, having done
0: cannonballs in vintage cars the The worse the car, the worse the time. Mm-hmm. I know some of those guys think they're having an awesome time in these open top <laughs> you know pre war cars yeah but yeah, it really isn't that awesome, especially it's great if the weather to, turns. to go drive around but man i I will happily, <laughs> I'll take happily something with roof. go in comfort in the going <laughs> yeah
1: yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's no e63 amg but uh <laughs> yeah it, th- there's a novelty to driving those old cars the yeah. really really old stuff around but they are not good cars yeah they for really sure. are primitive yeah so yeah that would be a long 15 <laughs> days or so
1: they they drive like locomotives because <laughs> some of them are
0: yes yes Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our SwitchCars dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit celebritymachines.com for more info and use promo code SwitchCast to save a whopping twenty five point three nine percent at checkout. You know, I think that they supply the Peterson with their uh, plates mm. that they sell. Um, you know, because they have a museum gift shop mm-hmm. and they have incredible markups. You might want to you might want to look into that. Sell okay. some sell some plates here. Well, do you have any sounds mo- like
1: you've got a, a hookup yeah do you have <laughs> any movie cars here uh no we do not uh, we need to change that
0: need to change that do a movie car we used display. to have,
1: we used to have uh, a screen used Chitty Chitty bang bang oh
0: that but one was out at um the place in Chardon for restoration mm. for a while right is mm. it rolls-royce
1: based could be yeah I don't know yeah wasn't the Tucker one, in the movie
0: too hearts
1: Maybe in, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No,
0: the Tucker and Tucker. We don't have a Tucker. Well, you used to. Oh, we did? Yeah. That's mm. news to me. No. I, they <laughs> sold it off. That was a big point of contention. Yeah, I know some things, I know some
1: things were sold. Yes. I don't know exactly what. but yeah. uh, a Tucker was one of them. I uh, forgot it was shame. sold. I lied to you guys.
0: <laughs> All right, Mark. Smooth Mark. Give it to us. I'm sorry. Bearded Mark. I have a beard.
1: Thank you. Oh, the first question is from is and only
0: questions from Adam Wilmot. Hey Doug. Hey Brad. Enjoying the first week with my first sports car, picked up a C seven Z fifty one and absolutely love it. Is there any performance driving schools near Buffalo, New York? No idea. I uh, there's gotta be. Let me Google that for you. I mean, Does there it, there, there it, has to be. Doesn't every track have a driving school? I was gonna
1: say there's gotta be something at Watkins Glen. I mean that's not. Super close to Buffalo, but it's like Mid
0: Ohio has their performance driving school. It's five hours from Buffalo. So Skip Barber, Skip Barber bankrupt, or did they get bought oh, yeah, out. They or? got bought out. Okay. They're, uh, By Haggerty? Uh, Nelson's has it.
1: <laughs> Pit Race has schools. Yeah.
0: Um Heath Moyle asked, When was the last time you washed the nine twelve? I have literally never washed the nine twelve. <laughs> okay, so you said you had a 944 with 438,000 miles on yes. it. You also have a 912 that e. the the patina would rival that of Pete Jackson, who Pete owns a he was uh, on Switchcast a while back going into the archives for that episode. He owns a Porsche restoration shop locally and in the vein of a painter's house is always peeling, <laughs> yeah. he has the jankiest rattiest driver 912, but he drives it everywhere. Uh, yours would probably rival his for...
1: It's rough. For Patina. Um, it's rough, but it's ready. I, I love that car. I pulled yeah. it pulled it out of a, a shop in San Francisco in 2016. A friend of mine had it. He couldn't get it to pass California emissions um, and offered it to me for what he paid for it like 10 years prior. <laughs> so, so, so like... 12 grand it was exactly 12 grand yeah, oh it was 12 grand um I got it running in a weekend and it needed like tires and uh, fuel pump relay and a few other things but uh, basically fired it up and I drove it basically in that condition probably 30 thousand miles uh, without really anything needing anything and then the engine blew um it apparently it blew the spark plug out of the cylinder head like just threads and all the whole thing just took it with it that was fun uh so an engine rebuild later and then during covid i rebuilt the suspension with all new um renline lowering everything you know stiffer everything lowered everything so it's mechanically it's basically brand new uh Brakes have all been redone, engine's been redone, transmission's been redone, suspension's been redone, uh, all the steering's been replaced, all that stuff. So mechanically, it's fresh. It's like a brand new car. But cosmetically, it's rough. Uh, the interior's bad. The exterior's bad. It leaks. Uh, there's rust. It's But that it's a guilt-free driver. Totally. Is and it as rare as your shoes, though? You know what? I'll even tell you how rare it is. You want to hear the uh, the build yeah, sheet on this thing? Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh,
0: let's hear it. Let's hear it, Mr. Uh, Porsche
1: Guru. So it's a uh, sunroof delete, radio delete, conies, sports seats, r- uh, cu- custom ordered red interior, custom ordered yellow exterior. Bahama yellow? It is not. It is uh, ooh Talbot yellow. Oh, yes. Yellow, yellow. allegedly one of seven in that color tanner faust has one of the other ones good golly you're one of those people (laughs) do you enjoy
0: it more do you enjoy your shoes more because they're one of 500 no i could not kill us (laughs) i just
1: like the shoes (laughs) but no i i don't care about the the i think it's just the thing that appeals to me is that it's just a weird build because somebody ordered a 912e with sports seats and conies huh like it That's had to right. Have,
0: you do have the the squarish sports seats. Yeah. yeah. It
1: had to have cost somebody more than a, a same year nine eleven. Eleven. Like I don't know why they would have paid that much, but apparently, so I talked to. Bringing this back to Haggerty, the original owner was McKeel's dad. It was bought by his dad in uh, Northern Jeez. Michigan. And I found this out because the, the owner manual has a stamp in it from you know when he bought it wow so so i called McKeel and i asked him about it and he, he was telling me stories about it and he goes yeah my dad bought it in like 77 so it had been sitting on the dealer lot so some dealer guy ordered it in this spec in this weird bizarre spec and then it just sat on the dealer lot for like a year and a half and then McKeel's dad bought it and brought it home and he's like hey uh check out the new car that i got and his wife was like i hate the color because he's colorblind, and he didn't know what color it was. <laughs> so, so uh, anyway. So, then uh, he drove it for a while and then gave it to his daughter, and she drove it to college in Lake Tahoe. And so, that's how it ended up on the West Coast, and it was in Lake Tahoe for years. And a guy died, and his kids put it on eBay, and that was where my, my friend bought it, uh, like, 15 years ago. That's
0: really cool. So... Man, talk about a small world. Yeah, man.
1: Oh, and apparently she spilled his mother spilled a gallon of milk in it in like 1978. So it's probably still rotting <laughs> in the seats somewhere.
0: <laughs> there's there's a joke in there, something about it curdling or mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. There is a joke there. My my dad. My dad puns are not. I uh, <laughs> haven't had enough whiskey to be on my dad joke game. All right, it is time for the props and flops of the week. The props and flops are brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from Switch Cars Inventory, not online, speaking of yellow 911s, is a 97 Pastel Yellow
1: 993. I love it. It's awesome. I'm not a 993 guy. I think they look like bars of soap, but but that yellow favorite that yellow is fantastic yes i love
0: that car it's eighty-two thousand miles it's a little rough around the edges not as bad as bradley's 912 but uh it, it, it could it is be definitely a guilt-free driver right it could be with another ten thousand really hard miles <laughs> uh but it is like his car mechanically all there it's got a two inch stack of service records mostly from steinels Works, a local porsche specialist so it is all that and a bag of chips mechanically Uh, It is a six-speed manual, rear-wheel drive C2, so it is the proper configuration. So if you're looking for a good deal on a Driver 993, this one is it, especially if you're either if you like pastel yellow or you're colorblind. (laughs) The flop of the week. Uh, I belong to a Facebook group called Wholesale Car Club, which is a lot of fun. There's a lot of cars that are... Maybe or maybe not really wholesale, but uh, it's kind of like the retail guys going to a repo auction. They think that just because they're at an auction, (laughs) they're buying it for a good deal, and they end up paying way more. But no, there are some pretty good deals on there, and it's well moderated, except on Sunday. It's free post Sunday, and the moderators let anything in. And this dude, I should have called him out here. Uh, I don't remember his name, but anyway... He bought an Aventador at Meekum on Saturday. Hammer price was 400 grand. So it was 440 grand with the, the 10% buyer's premium. He posted it on Wholesale Car Club on Sunday, trying to flip it before he had to pay for it on Monday because he was outed as being a broker. And you go to his Instagram account and he's like totally flexing, like posting pictures from the auction. Like, oh yeah, sold this sold this hurricane already, and I'm like, dude, that's a photo at Me <laughs> auction, like okay, whatever, but just like the total social media Flex Instagram account. So anyway, I guess he he posted it as an accidental purchase and an urgent sale. Now, usually, if you have an urgent sale, the price reflects Discount, it right? Like, yeah. man, I gotta wire four hundred forty grand tomorrow. I, I'll take any friggin offer. To not get banned from Meekum, but no, he posted it for five hundred twenty-five grand, so he's trying to make seventy-five grand on an accidental purchase, and he just got friggin' roasted in the comments. It was awesome. It was, yeah, a lot of epic failure. He got banned from Wholesale Car Club, probably got banned from Meekum, and somebody actually offered him four hundred fifty in the thread, so he could have got out. Yeah. like ten fine, grand. making ten grand. But yeah, yeah uh, I'd take that deal. That is, that is why I don't like brokers because they, man, they, they screw everything up for people. Now, Mikam will probably buy the car anyway from the seller because they do that. Uh, so the seller will be made whole. But yeah, might be a good deal on a Aventador out there. Um, the prop of the week. Now, i got to pull this article up. My apologies. I was totally not quite prepared. Um, Let's see. This was an article written by Gary Falls called Stay Better. Stay Better. Stay Positive. Better Days Are On The Way. And it was recapping a NASCAR race. Let's see. I don't watch NASCAR, but he did. Um, let's see his, his driver, Chase Elliott, he said, was barely able to hang in the top 10. Um, lightning warnings during the race, stopped the race for 30 minute intervals. He was penalized for a loose wheel. So it sent him to the back of the pack. Uh, they had a two hour rain delay. They stopped airing the race. Uh, the track dried up. They did another restart and there was no rubber on the track anymore. So Elliott from the rear of the pack got all the way up to first place with less than 15 laps to go. And then someone blew an engine, put oil down, and that restarted it again. He was in third place with five laps to go and unbelievable. Managed once again to get his way to the front and win the race. And what the, the prop was not to chase Elliot, but just this guy's perspective on essentially setbacks and failure. Um, I think people often see those who are in a position of success and don't understand or don't see the journey that was along the way. Uh, what's the saying? The road to success is, is paved with many failures. And so this is his perspective on this was just great. He said races like this should serve as lessons to all of us that winners never give up regardless of how adverse things look. Rookies or any driver who's not yet stood on the podium should adhere to this way of thinking. Winning is for those of us with tenacity. More often than not, it demands an effort that seems to exceed our abilities. Without caring about our weaknesses and how we feel, life places what seem like insurmountable obstacles in our path to success, but rewards those who are willing to keep pushing themselves regardless of what limits are presented to them so you have no justifiable reason to give up. And, uh, this guy actually is, he goes on to announce his new role as executive director of the Unser Racing Museum. So it's like, it's perfectly fitting, right? So like you guys founded Radwood and then a couple years into it, you just got shut down for a year and a half. Yeah. Like you could have thrown in the towel. Sure. And you didn't. Right. And then you get bought out by Haggerty. Yep. You know,
1: so... Yeah, it, it's you know there's uh what is it uh Goonies never say die. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. You just keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Never give up. Never surrender.
0: I don't know who needs to hear that, but I guess I need to hear it. I mean, every day there's there's something <laughs> there's something every day that uh, that wants to try to try to get me down. So, um, Brad, this has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you for chatting. Uh, Thanks give, for having me. Give your uh, elevator pitch, your, your promo in terms of where <laughs> people can find and follow you, the Crawford Museum, when it's open. What do you want people to, to, to take away from this?
1: Sure. Um, I want people to come in and see the hard work that we're putting in at the museum. Uh, we have gone a long ways. I was sitting downstairs looking at the lower Crawford installation this morning. And just thought of all of the time and effort that it took to get it to where it is today, and uh, super proud of my team. We made it work. So come check it out. Uh, we've got a cruise in tomorrow on the fourteenth,
0: and every, every second th- every second other Thursday. Thursday. Yep, yep. So at there'll be another one on the twenty
1: eighth, and then yeah, at four to eight. So obviously, we wanted to make it early enough that if the retired guys wanted to come out and before dinner, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or if you want to cut. Cut work early and come hang at the Crawford. Come yeah. on down, um, and yeah. So we'll have the the cruising tomorrow. Um, you can find more information from the Crawford Crawford Museum on Instagram, and I think it's uh, Crawford AAM on Twitter, uh, Auto Aviation Museum. And then uh, I am BC Brownell on Twitter, and I am uh, Plug in Hybrad H Y B R A D on. Instagram. Uh, the museum is open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, the Crawford Museum org is the website, so check that cool. for information. Yep. Downtown uh, Cleveland, right near Case Western
0: Reserve University, and mm-hmm. if you're into museums, there's the Natural History Museum, the Botanical Gardens, the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a ton of stuff. A ton down of here. stuff down here. Rock um, and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh,
1: And on this three acres that we've got here in downtown Cleveland, we've got an original carousel. uh, We've got planes and cars. We've got two historical mansions, art, exhibits, uh, clothing, vintage clothing, all kinds. of I mean, everything that you'd ever want to see. This is the Cleveland History Center. So come on down, check it out.
0: Sweet. Thank you very much for being on. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, SwitchCars, Celebrity Machine, Stephen Holm Woodworking, who did not create this uh, particle board table, but he (laughs) created our regular podcast studio table uh, and does great custom stuff. Uh, Thank you to Nathan's Detailing and our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life.